Uh, welcome. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, uh, welcome to everybody. And yes, it is Mother's Day, so I first must take the time to acknowledge that and and um, and every blessing to mothers that are here and mothers that are to be and to everyone that has a mother and all of those things. So somewhere we all fit in that equation. I hope. <laughs> and uh, well, we have to, don't we? Praise the Lord. I say that because I know that you ladies are going to forgive me because I'm not going to preach on mothers today. And so, <laughs> but, but, I must say, I feel confident that I have the mind of the Lord. Just as well. Otherwise, I could imagine some of the ladies here saying, hmm. But, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll share a little story behind that because um, it's one of, been one of those weeks where I've come to the pulpit this morning and I feel excited and uh, confident about the word that the Lord has put upon my heart to bring this morning. And there's a bit of story behind that because I'll confess that I, I sat down on Tuesday to write and prepare the message and the thoughts that were prompted in my heart. And then on Wednesday we had our Bible study as we're looking at the book of Romans and there in chapter 1 it talks about the beloved of God and so um, our Greek friends um, uh, uh, did a study there on love and uh, in the Greek and the various words that we find and, uh, in the Greek that define it and so we made the emphasis of the study on love and so it was touching on various aspects and I thought okay I feel confident that I have the mind of God. And so then on Friday we go to the prayer meeting and we're at the prayer meeting and Sam decides that he's going to bring a word and, he's, and so he begins to read from Ephesians and he goes through some various parts of chapter 2 just kind of laying the foundation and he reads Ephesians 3 verse 14 to 19 and lo and behold that is my text. And so... He starts talking about the very scriptures that we're going to examine this morning, and uh, and in, uh, as Sam does, and so uh, I'm going to be overlapping on some of those things because we're going through the exact scriptures. But I pray that the Lord would speak to us and minister to us this morning in relation to the issue of God's love. So we could talk about a mother's love and how wonderful it is, and it is reflective of God's love. And so it is a matter. It's great to be perfected in a mother's love as a child, but as uh, as adults that are here and as children as well, it is imperative that we are perfected in the love of God. And so that's what we want to consider as we look at Ephesians chapter 3 in a moment. Sam also, as he was talking, he made emphasis of the fact that... Um, uh, if you're obviously paying attention to the messages that I've been preaching, there's a kind of an overarching theme that deals with the fullness of God. And if we're talking about the fullness of God, as we'll find in our text, then really the love of God is the first and foremost of the fullness of God, is it not? Maybe I should have preached that first and then proceeded on everything else. But the Lord has his ways and so um, as we're considering this context again of entering into and embracing and experiencing the fullness of God as children of God and as Christians, then it is imperative that we experience the fullness of God's love for us. Because to be filled with the fullness of God is to be filled with the love of God. For God is love, the Bible teaches us. God is love. I know that I can remember and I'm sure everyone has their own memories and thoughts and can reflect on landmark moments in their life, especially salvation, when we first encountered the love of God. You know, as a wayward sinner, as myself, and just so far from God in sin and just distant and, uh, and derelict in many ways, and yet... On that day, the Lord touched me. He reached out and touched me and the love of God so radically liberated and transformed and changed my life. As the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 5, that the, uh, the, the love of, not 5 verse 5, but in, in Romans chapter 5, for the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. And so really that was the experience of the love of God being poured out in such an abundance. Has anyone ever seen, um, if you've got kids and you've ever taken them to um, the local swimming pool, now uh, uh, what they have is they have these contraptions and whatever it is where the kids get to play in and run around various sprinklers and there's water pouring forth from there and there. Recently I was at one and there was this big massive bucket. They have them like at theme parks too. It's a big huge bucket that would sit like high in, in, in the roof and there would be water that would be pouring into it and it would get so full. And then and once it gets so full the kids are all standing there at the bottom and they're all going <laughs> and then the bucket tips and it's just a gush of water that just spills forth and literally pours out upon these children. When the Bible says that God has poured out his love into our hearts, that's what it's capturing. It's talking about this, this, this gush of the love of God, this fullness of God's love that penetrates our dark hearts and our lives and washes us clean and fills us with the love of God. And when you experience that love for the first time, what a, what a joy it is. Can you say Amen. But you see, that's one aspect of the love of God. The Bible tells us that we are to grow into the love of God. Or as John in his epistle talks about it and he uses the expression that we will be perfected in the love of God. And it's that issue of being complete, it's that issue of being perfected in the love of God that is not so much an instantaneous thing, but it's a progressiveness as we grow in our relationship with God, as we walk with the Lord over the longevity of time as a Christian, we are moving into this realm where we are being perfected, the scripture says, being made perfect in his love. And so we learn as Christians to live in that love, to grow in that love because the reality is we understand that we can um, uh, neglect that, we can drift, we can harden our hearts, we can resist the Holy Spirit, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, all of these things short circuit the love of God in our lives. And so it's imperative that we are walking in truth, that we are practising righteousness, that we are living in holiness that we are well pleasing to the Lord in order that we can walk in and experience the fullness of his love. You see, John in his epistles talks about the various aspects and outworkings of love in the Christian life. And as relevant and as fundamental as that is, those outworkings are first the result of the love of God that is inwardly at work in us. And this is what Paul touches upon in the book of Ephesians and it relates to his words that we find in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. So let's read it together and let's ask the Lord to bless us this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father we just come before you and I ask God that your word this morning, God your love this morning would so saturate, Lord and penetrate our hearts that we would Lord God be filled with the fullness of God, I pray. Amen. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus who all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, this is a beautiful portion of text and as we kind of try and dissect some of it and relate it and have it God speak to us, it's important to understand what 
Paul and what God through Paul is actually speaking to us because we pick up in verse 14 where it says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to establish, well, what is the reason that Paul is speaking that? Why is Paul humbled and why is Paul bowed down and why is it that he embarks on a prayer for these particular saints? It's because he's uh, unveiling the riches and the unsearchable riches of Christ and the mystery that surrounds Christ and the church. And he talks about the reconciling of the Jew and Gentile and a new body that has been created, which is the church uh, of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, uh, of whom we are now partakers of uh, and we are incorporated and grafted into. And so he talks about the wonder of the mystery that has been revealed and that the that church is the entity that has been kept secret from the foundation of the earth and now it's coming together as God has, has ordained and the, the Jew and the Gentile who were once enemies, that wall of separation has been broken down and now the two in Christ become one and we are the church of Jesus Christ, we are the temple of the Lord, we are the body of Christ. And he talks about what a glorious, glorious reality it is and when he stands and observes the wisdom of God and he acknowledges the riches of this inheritance, what he sees is the love of God that is motivating, is behind such a wonderful, wonderful reality. God's love that he would do that. You see, this is a prayer, verse 14 to verse 21 is a prayer from Paul the Apostle. But it's not his first prayer in the book of Ephesians. He actually prays uh, earlier in chapter 1 and uh, because again Paul is dealing with profound truths and realities concerning the child of God. You see, if we can grasp some of these things, then we will grow into a greater knowledge and experience of God's love for us. And so, Paul is writing and he's trying and he is expounding on these great profound truths, but in the midst of that, he offers up prayer to God. And he does it in chapter 1 when he says in verse, uh, I'll just refer to verse. 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Oh, glory to God. We talk about our inheritance. Oh, this is talking about his inheritance, the church, you and I. And so, Paul is dealing with these, these, these wonderful spiritual truths, but then it leads him to pray that God would make them known to his people. And this forms the basis of his prayer in our text because, again, he's dealing with profound truths that Paul understands as much as he is used of God to write and to pen these truths and to communicate these truths, he realises his own limitations and he's saying, God, only you can make these realities real to the heart of a man and a woman. Only you can bring these truths home and make them personal in such a way that you would understand them and experience them for yourself. Just as I have, in a sense, as Paul is saying, so too would all the saints. So there's a similarity there. But Paul wants us to see and understand the various truths but more than that, he wants us to experience them in our own lives. Because, see, there's a corporate element here. Uh, in Ephesians, it's talking about the body and the church and it talks about that corporately. But then in this particular prayer, he's praying for the corporate body, but it's more personal and individualised as it relates to us individually. And that's the part that we want to touch upon this morning.
You see, it's going to take God to make these, these realities known to us. That's why Paul prays in verse 16. He understands it's beyond him. So he's praying that God, in verse 16, would grant you according to the riches of his glory. You see, this is where Paul is praying that God would grant you these things, that he would give you a greater knowledge, that he would give you a greater experience of his love. And he says this in verse 16, by way of to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, let's stop there for a moment because it's important for us to understand that what Paul is talking about is going to take place in the realm of your spirit, in what the Bible calls the inner man. When you are born again, Christ in you, we become the temple of God. The Holy Spirit indwells us and so therefore it's in that context that because we have been spiritually made alive in Jesus Christ. You see, the world is dead in trespasses and sins. The world is spiritually darkened and alienated from the life of God. But when you are born again, amen, the wind blows where it wills. You don't see it, but you see the effects of it. And the Spirit of God so breathes through our hearts and is poured out into our hearts and we become alive in Christ. And the inner man is made anew, is born of God. Spiritually, You see, that's why the inner man is critical to your Christian well-being, your welfare, your development as a, as a child of God and, to, and unto maturity in Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about various aspects, the flesh and the spirit, because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh and in the Christian life, what's going to gain that ascendancy? Well, I tell you, it's either going to be the inner man, the spirit, who will be strengthened and developed and matured and, 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 or your flesh will overcome you and empower you and it comes down to this, is what will you feed? Will you feed your flesh or will you feed your inner man? And uh, in doing so will determine how strong and how developed you become in Christ. Romans chapter 8 tells us that to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, where are you going to walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit? And God wants us to be strengthened within the inner man. Now, what's interesting is it says here that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You see, this strengthening is not a result of somehow uh, something that we achieve, but rather the Bible says it's a direct result of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, Christ. And so the Spirit of God, his, his work as an advocate of Christ is to make known to us these realities and in this context we're looking at the love of God and that we would experience those things in such a way that we would be benefited. See, the word here is being used uh, uh, that, uh, that uh, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit. So your Spirit is to be strengthened by his might in, uh, through his spirit. So, for example, um, that word strengthened means to empower, to, to increase in vigour. See, this is not, we're not talking about a self-motivation this morning, okay? You know, we're not here talking about positive thinking. We are talking about God who empowers us through his Holy Spirit who is in us. That's why the Bible uses the specific words strengthened with uh, might. That word might is the word power, dunamis, and so we are going to be empowered in our inner man by, in our spirit, by the Spirit of God. Nothing less. Only God can achieve that. It's not our willpower. 
It's not our, so much our resolve. No, it's not in us. It's something that is sourced from God that is generated and passed to us and we become recipients of it. And through that, the inner man is empowered and strengthened. You see, this is an attribute of God. And as I said, the issue is uh, your spiritual development. Or as other biblical words talk about it as you're being transformed. Uh, or, um, or we talk about it as Christian maturity. Or growing unto the full stature of Christ. You see, because that's the benchmark. That's where God wants to bring us. But you see, again, I touch upon what can be the sad reality and there are reasons why there are some Christians uh, and, uh, and uh, when I say some, it can be a lot many times, uh, who are spiritually malnourished because they don't know what it means to be strengthened in the inner man. Why don't I have power over sin? Why is it that my flesh is always gravitating to the wrong things? Well, maybe you are spiritually depleted Maybe, one, you have to ask yourself, do I have the Spirit? Because if I don't have the Spirit, I'm not His. But secondly, if you do, then why aren't you appropriating the resources from heaven, the power from heaven, to live a holy and godly life? And so many people sometimes can find themselves weak, they can be, remain babes in Christ because they are feeding their flesh and not feeding their spirit. How can you read the... How do you feed this? Uh, to divert a little bit, how do you feed your spirit? Read the Bible. Men shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Or you can watch the latest movie. You know what I'm saying? You can feed your spirit, or you can feed your flesh. You can be carnally minded, which is death, or you can be spiritually minded, which is life and peace. So, what I'm saying is if you are neglecting your inner man and if you are neglecting God, then you will bear the consequences of that over the longevity of your Christian life. Anyway, let's move on. You see, we're talking about the inner man. I kind of diverted a little bit there off the topic, but we're talking about the inner man. You see, in what way is the love of God going to be perfected in our hearts. How is it going to be achieved? If you look at verse 17, the Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, to, to have the inner man strengthened, to become all that God wants us to be, to enter into the fullness of God, then the two factors are faith and love. See, faith is the conduit that releases, if you want to call it, the love of God into our lives. You see, faith is, is critically important. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith becomes that vehicle. So that's why it is referred to here that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you would be rooted and grounded in love. You see, through faith Christ dwells in our heart. This word dwell means he takes up residence. He lives. He abides in us. And so, in doing, when, when through faith, when Christ takes up that residence, then we are well positioned to be rooted and grounded in his love. See, the Bible uses this particular phrase and it captures two things because when we think of the word rooted and grounded, uh, they're not saying exactly the same thing, though they're similar. But you see, that to be rooted in God's love is the best picture there is obviously of a tree and that our roots would grow deep, deep into the ground. You see, that's the whole purpose. Amen. And if those roots do not go deep, then when the storms and trials of life come, then you know, if you're building on sand or you haven't built deep roots, then this is where people can stumble. And so our roots need to go deep and deep and deep. 
But then you have the other word uh, uh, in uh, he's grounded and this is an architectural term and it simply relates to the fact of a foundation. And so to lay the, the basis for or to erect. So when the Bible talks about being rooted deep and grounded in God's love, because that's what the, the, uh, the Christian life must be founded upon. No other foundation can be laid and that foundation is Christ. Anything else in the Christian life will be exposed in God's time and God will, uh, will, will uh, uproot these things and he will make sure that he will lay that foundation in our lives and, and that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. The Amplified Bible says that you may be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. So Paul goes further in verse 18. He says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge in verse 19. But Going back to verse 18, he says this word that you may be able to comprehend. Again, Sam touched upon this on Friday when, because this word comprehend, it doesn't just mean that you would just somehow uh, have an intellectual understanding. You know, when we do in the lingu- English language comprehend, yeah, oh yeah, I understand. It's just a little bit more than that. Actually, it's a lot more. Because the word comprehend is a bit more appropriate to apprehend. And in the Greek, the word comprehend conveys the thought to take eagerly, to seize, to possess, to grasp. You see, that we would, we, we would grasp the love of God. And so, we're talking now on various aspects, as I'll consider in a moment, but the, the, the expression is being made, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height? You see, the dimensions of what God's love this morning is so great and so vast, isn't it? The, the more you, you grow as a Christian, the more you grow into the depth, the height, the length and the width of God's love and you realise you're only scratching the surface. See, the, the dimensions of God's love is just so great because we grow into that and we, we begin to fathom various aspects of God's love because we see it in the Scriptures, we see the love of God demonstrated and reiterated in all of its variations and forms and we just are humbled and we, we begin to grasp to a certain degree those realities. But when you begin to grasp some things, you realise how much you don't grasp. Amen? Because that's where it's talking about, when it's talking about these particular words here, that we may be able to apprehend or comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, of Christ which passes knowledge. Well, that word is beyond our ability to fully grasp and comprehend. Although, in saying that, we are to apprehend and grasp this love because God through his spirit, communicates it and relates it to us in the Christian life. You see, we're talking about a mighty love, an immense love. One man described it as the ocean of his love. He said, Jesus is like an ocean and uh, he's teaching me, his words were like, he's teaching me how to drown in the ocean of his love. You know, so many people was like, oh, what's it like in there? <laughs> like, just get in. I mean, the vastness of God's love, the width, the length, the depth, the height, you can't even begin to grasp it. But I tell you what, you can get in it and you can experience it and you can possess it for yourself because that's how we will be filled with the fullness of of God. Now, the, there's, a, there's a phrase here that to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now, there, it's, there's, 
I believe that it incorporates a few thoughts here that I want to bring to your attention this morning. And there's the primary aspect that we understand where Paul is talking and relating to it on a revelational or an intellectual level. That you would understand, you know, Bible says that people in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, people know neither love nor hatred by what they see before them. So we can look at things and we can mentally visualise and grasp. That's why the Bible says there's no greater love than to lay down your life. So there's a, you know, love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. So it's something that is demonstrated, it's something that is seen. And so when we read the words of the Bible, when we see the actions of God, we see love constantly reiterated, constantly demonstrated. And uh, uh, that's one aspect. And, 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 and to fully grasp it passes knowledge. But you see, there's another aspect that I want to consider because is it merely referring to an intellectual knowledge of God's love that Paul's referring to? Is it merely referring to an intellectual knowledge? I have no doubt that it is, that is fundamentally what Paul's referring to. Don't get me wrong. It is, it is purely fundamentally what he's referring to, but is it all? that he's referring to. Is there another dimension and aspect to this? And this is where I want to present to you a thought and that is, yes, there is. Because Paul says that we would know the love of God or the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You see, I want to suggest that what God is communicating as well is that we would experience the love of God. We, we, we are spiritual beings. We have five senses, physically speaking, but we have spiritual senses too. And so when we talk about love, it's not, not just an abstract thing. There's a reality to love. It's just that the world has messed it all up and so forth. But you see, love is something that is to be felt. Now I hear someone, you know, this is where people's alarm bells go, <laughs> and I understand because I had to think this through as I was pondering this because this is a, people will say that this is very dangerous ground to refer and begin to move in this realm and, and uh, the, I would say to that, I agree totally. I 100% agree to that because the, what I'm saying here is fraught with danger and, um, but that doesn't negate this fundamental truth as well that's being uh, 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 communicated in the text and throughout the various other scriptures of the Bible. But you see, we are spiritual, emotional people. And so when, you've got to understand, when God made Adam and Eve, they were perfect. They had fellowship with God. They walked with God. They had the sweetness of the love of God and the fullness of God uh, uh, penetrating and, and filling their lives in such a way until sin entered the world. And we know that when sin entered the world, what were they doing? They were hiding. See, fear came. Fear, the arch enemy of the love of God. Fear and there was guilt and there was shame and these things became hindrances to experiencing the fullness of God's love that they had now forfeited. And so the emotional state of, of Adam and Eve was, was, was literally, uh, you know, if you want to call it corrupted, through sin. And so when we talk about emotions, we have to be very, very careful because in the world, when we, this is where the devil seeks to exploit. Because since the fall, there is a corruption of emotion. There is a vulnerability to emotion. There is a weakness that, that is inherent in our human nature because of the curse and that which relates to the flesh. So when we talk about these things, we have to be very specific and understand what we're saying. But let me say this, that doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater because we are still emotional beings. So when I talk about experiencing God's love, yes, there is a revelational, yes, there is an aspect, but I can tell you now, there have been various times in my life, and I have no doubt in yours, where you can say, I have sensed the presence of God. You see, we have to filter things. So if anyone claims that they, you know, 
That's why we have in, in recent years all the uh, errors that have infiltrated the church because we have the, uh, people working on an emotional level. And so sometimes, you know, people think, oh, it's because uh, uh, the emotion feels good somehow that equates to God and so therefore you have the birth of all these false experiences that are not God. So anything that claims to be of God has to be filtered through his word and it has to pass through the mind and the reason and the intellect. That's what gets, what gets thrown out the door and you get everyone just jumping on this bandwagon because they want some emotional buzz. That's not what I'm talking about. That is error. That is, uh, that is, that is, uh, that is uh, the devil's playground. I'm talking about your inner, your inner man in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, in which the Spirit of God pours out the love of God in our hearts that we can genuinely experience the love of God. Because I can tell you now there have been times and various stages in my life where God has made his love so known to me in such a way that my heart has melted. I have bursted forth in tears and cried because of the love of God and the comfort of God that had, had come at that moment. In, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 19, in our text, I'll read it from the Amplified, it says that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. Because what we're talking about when we talk about God's love is we're talking about a state of being spiritually that manifests itself mentally and emotionally. Are you following me? The word to know the love of God. That word know in the Greek it comes from the word genosko, to know. And it means to, be, and to know in an absolute sense. Now, there are various applications to all of this. But, you, but when, you, when you study it through, it incorporates various aspects. And it talks about being, uh, to be aware of, to have knowledge to perceive, so there's an intellectual basis to this, but then incorporated into it is to feel, to understand, to be sure, a witness if you want to call it. But nevertheless, I'm talking about the love of God in our hearts. You see, the Bible says that repent and be converted, that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. Have you not ever experienced the presence of God? God... Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, we don't base things on emotion, but that doesn't mean we discount emotion. Okay? We can sing, we can praise, we can get excited. You can shout hallelujah. Amen. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because, hey, we're emotional beings, church. I know some are more emotional than others. Don't get me wrong. I understand we're all different. But it, it's there. And so God communicates on this. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so when we talk about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where, the, where there's the presence of God, times of refreshings will come. Because the love of God is made manifest and poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. You see, the knowledge of God's love is not just some mere intellectual activity, although it's fundamentally that, but it's an operation of the Holy Spirit in the heart. And who is the Spirit? He is our comforter. When you talk about comfort, you're talking about God's love. He comforts us in our suffering. It's something that you sense. It's something that you feel. And so, we have the experience of the love of God. And I think it's important for us to, 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 to note that, not to, make a, um, uh, not to make an overemphasis to the neglect of what is being communicated here in the text, but I'm just touching upon the love of God in a more broader sense as it relates to our lives. You see, because in verse 18, it says that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. 
You see, that's not a cliche. This is a reality to be filled with the fullness of God. See, John in his epistle says that love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You know, as Christians, we don't fear death. Perfect love casts out fear. We don't have fear. We have such an assurance. We have such a confidence. We, we win. We, we have the fullness of God to depart from this body to be, to be present with the Lord. We are so perfected in love that not even death has the, is to have a, the, a grip on us in terms of an unhealthy fear. More than that, we have confidence in the day of judgment. Am I going to get there or not? What do you mean? We're there. Hallelujah. You see? (laughs) You see, we're talking about the love of God. John writes in his epistle, chapter 4, verse 16, and he says, And we have known and believed that the love that God has for us God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. The Bible tells us in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power and a sound mind. So you don't have to have a mind that's totally filled with anxiety and fear and stress but no the Bible says that word sound mind talks about self-discipline and the reason why you can have self-discipline is because you can be strengthened with might in the inner man through his power God's given us not a spirit of fear but of power and love because power and love is what will accomplish that strengthening and empowering in our lives that we can be strengthened in the inner man that you can have a sound and disciplined mind because we understand what has been revealed. So how is this accomplished further? Look at verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You see, what we're talking about is not a human initiative, church. This is something that is the operation of the Holy Spirit in the heart, communicating the love of God, causing us to grow in the inner man, to become strong in Him, that we would grow into the fullness of stature in Christ, that we would be perfected in Ephesians chapter 4. You can read it, it builds on. That's why God's given various fun gifts and functions in the church for the edifying of the body that we would grow to full stature that you would grow and be perfected in his love you see as a pastor I feel this is one of the major uh, responsibilities that, that I have that God has shown me to bring people here but like Paul I can understand certain things but you know what I can only bow my knee unto the Lord Jesus Christ and pray that God would bring us each into that experience because I can't, I can lead you there, but uh, you, by faith, you have to apprehend it. You have to comprehend. You have to grasp it. But it's possible, not because of something. We we have our part. Here it is, is again. We have our our part, but God does His, and it is His power that brings us into that reality. That's what the scripture is saying now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above. I mean, God is, we have no comprehension of the full understanding of his power and his ability. It is, it is way above our understanding. But I tell you what, it is real and it exists and the power of God above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Within us. There it is again. The power of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that Paul talks about the love of God, so we find the same thing communicated about the power of God. Above all that we ask or think, the power of God is above and beyond our our full comprehension. Now, in the same way, the Bible says that it is above all that we ask or think. Now, the, so is the love of God. It's beyond, it passes knowledge. 
And so the Bible says that we would know the power of God as well in the same way that the power of God is beyond above all that we ask or think and works mightily in us. But we are to experience that power in a real way. So too is with the love of God. It, it surpasses knowledge. It's way above beyond anything that we can fully um, comprehend in its absolute fullness, but we can still experience. You know what? I, can't, I, I, we can, I can swim in the ocean and I can experience the fullness of the ocean, but I'm, I don't grasp the fullness of the ocean. And so you can learn to swim in the love of God. You can experience the love of God that is poured out in your heart and that you would grow and mature and be perfected in his love and that will be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit who strengthens with might our inner man. And so Paul the Apostle is praying that we would be strengthened that we would, we would, we would, he's praying for our strength, he's praying for our depth of experience, he's praying for our apprehension of the love of God and ultimately leading into its fullness. Now, in saying all of that, you would think how wonderful and all these things are that God has done for us. But you see, remember. Where if you read the context of all of this, it's not about us. We're recipients of it. It's our inheritance. But remember in chapter 1, Paul says, his inheritance in the saints. And when you understand what God has created, and that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2 and chapter 3, when he talks about the mystery of the church, and he refers to it <coughs> in chapter, uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 8. He says, to me, whom less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And he talks about, uh, um, uh, he goes on to refer to a couple of things but listen to this, all of this is... We are glorified in Christ. But you know, the Bible says that the whole purpose of this is his inheritance in the saints. And that's why when we are perfected in his love, it is, and Christ is being formed in us, it is a testimony and it gives glory to God. As a church and as individuals, that's why in verse 21 it says, To him be glory in the church. To him because we are created in the image of God and when we are filled with the fullness of God, when we have the love of God that fills our hearts, when we have the joy of the Lord, when we have the peace of God, when all these attributes of God are flowing through us and we are bearing fruit to God, God is being glorified and we are a testimony of His grace and His power and His love because we are sinners made saints, praise the Lord. And he receives all the glory because it's the work that he has done. This is what he has created. This is what he had foreordained before the foundation of the world. And we have been grafted in. We have become partakers of. And we get to experience for ourselves his love and his power and his fullness. And in all of that, we are a reflection of him and he is glorified in the saints. To him be the glory in the church. It's not a, this is not man's, man's work. I mean, we're vessels, we're instruments, but we must understand it's all about Jesus Christ. We are the temple of God. You see... What a wonderful reality this is. And to think that we can experience and know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. In Romans chapter 8, and this is as I conclude, you can turn there. Romans chapter 8, you know it's a familiar portion of scripture, but I love Romans chapter 8. Again, it's the climatic mountaintop reality in the scripture here. 
Let me read from verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Actually, before that he talks about verse 30. Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. To him be glory in the church. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. In other words, Paul's saying, we win, church. And then and, and so we have an advocate. Look, we have an intercessor. In verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall tribulation or distress, because these are realities of life, persecutions or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your, for your sake we are killed all day long. You know, the Christian life can be filled with all forms of suffering. In externally, there is nothing there that relates and demonstrates the love of God. But I tell you, what's happening inwardly is a completely different story. The, in, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so, um, um, in verse 37, yet in all things, we are more than conquerors. Again, he's that word, more than conquerors, exceedingly, abundantly above. We, we've got to understand where we stand. Through him who loved us. Oh, what love, church. What an everlasting love. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Perfected in his love, resting in his love, strong in his love. God love you this morning. Praise the Lord. Maybe I can have the musicians come and we will conclude with a song that we are familiar with. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. And so let's read, we will sing it together. As we just worship the Lord, I just want you to meditate. I just want you to pray. I just want you to ponder upon the love of God. As the chorus says, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Hallelujah. This is our song. Let's sing it together. <laughs>